Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today we'll be welcoming on poet and New Orleans native Claire Jones. Claire is the recipient of a grant from the Fulbright Program and an Alberta Metcalf Kelly Fellowship from the Iowa Writers' Workshop. How's it going today, Claire? Very well. I'm so excited to be here on WRBH. Well, thanks so much. And you have a history at WRBH, don't you? Yes, I volunteered here before, and it's, I think it's a lovely, lovely station. Well, fantastic. Well, we're happy to have you back. Can I get us started? I'm wondering, what is the first thing that you wrote that you ever felt proud of? Ooh, that's a good question. When I, I went to Franklin here, uh, Ben Franklin High School, and I had a lovely teacher called Jean Gill, and she, I took creative writing class there, and she encouraged us all to enter this poetry contest, and... All of us were like, oh, okay, if, if you say so. And so we all sent off poems, and I ended up winning winning this prize, which was the Claudian Seaman Award for Young Writers. And it was a complete surprise. And I found out, and I just couldn't, couldn't believe it. So um, it was a poem that I'd written, actually, about um, summer in New Orleans. Mm. And so it was very much about heat and, like, being tired. And um, it was very much, you know, of my home. And so I felt really excited that I had been you know, given, given an award for writing about something I knew so much about. So that was was fun. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. Um, kind of from, from writing that poem about your home and and being, you, you grew up in New Orleans, you were born in New Orleans. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, you've been traveling a good bit lately and we'll get into that in a little bit, but how do you think New Orleans seeps into your writing life now? Um, well, I think I write a lot about natural phenomenon and sort of the sensory world. That's that's what gets me going as I'm, I'm writing at my desk. And I think from a young age, um, I was surrounded by natural beauty here. Um, I love the oaks in Audubon Park. And I think just, I mean, I don't think you can draw a direct line between that poem I wrote when I was, uh, you know, 17 and what I do now. But it was, a you know, I enjoy thinking about the world around me and the world around me has changed as I travel and as I see new places. But um, I think New Orleans taught me to be very alive to the world around me. Yeah, I, I can see that. Do you have a favorite spot here that you can kind of go to and just like feel at home? Well, I love Ladder Library. Yeah. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time, um, I volunteered for the Friends of New Orleans Public Library, um, both while I was in high school and in college and after that. So I love, I love Ladder Library and I love the sound of the streetcar. I yes. think um, smells and sights and sounds um, are very much, you know, home to me. Oh, I get that. I, the streetcar, I, I live uh, pretty close to St. Charles as well. And it's just like this comforting thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you feel good hearing that kind of sliding by as long as it's not in the middle of Jazz Fest, yes. um, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. It's a whole other thing. Um, but you have been in New Zealand for a year now? How long? How long? Um, I went to New Zealand as an undergrad okay. um, when I, I went to Carleton College. But then I returned there after I finished my MFA. I went in 2016. So I've been going there on and off for about three years now. Oh, wow. That's longer. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's part of a uh, Fulbright scholarship that you got right. as well, right? Congratulations on that. Yeah. A little bit um, late. Yeah, I was a Fulbright grantee um, all of 2016. And I was based in Wellington, which is the capital there. And um, my goal was to work on poetry and also make connections with uh, publishing companies and um, printers. Uh, throughout New Zealand, and I got to um, also volunteer for the Department of Conservation and work in sort of wilderness areas and get to know the flora and the birds of New Zealand directly, which was, um, because I'd read a lot about it in books, um, but it was a different thing to sort of be 
in the national park, seeing it around me yeah. and learning, learning also about the issues around climate change. Yeah, and I know that a lot of those concerns in, in your poetics and your work uh, stem from a, a stint in uh, the Marshall Islands. Yes, I was, a, I was a teacher in the Marshall Islands right after I finished college, and I taught in an elementary school. I taught first through eighth grade um, on a very remote atoll. Yeah, how, how was that experience for you? That, that must have been kind of like, I don't know, uh, what's the term for it, uh, a revelation in some ways? Yes, it was. Um, it was a wonderful experience. Um, the Marshall Islands are um, a very beautiful part of the world, um, but also very threatened by clim- climate change. And so, yeah, teaching, teaching, I taught English. So um, being in another foreign culture always makes you more aware of your the language that you use. And um, I had a lot of time to write um, and also I think had a lot of time to question why why do I use the expressions I use? Why do I name this thing um, this particular name? And learning also learning a new language, learning Marshallese, you yeah, you learn different ways to express yourself. So it was both beautiful nature, beautiful culture, wonderful people, um, and also a new insight into language. Yeah, and a part of the world that a lot of people don't even know exists. Uh, to, to unfortunately, this day still, yeah. yes, unfortunately, I think um, the Marshall Islands have a very uh, strong connection to the United States, and I'm often surprised that people haven't um, are aware of it. But um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful people. Oh, fantastic. Um, kind of writing in this vein, in this, I guess, would you call it like eco ecopoetics or um, or what's your what's yeah. your relationship to that term? I mean, I think I think we all ha- we have to have names for stuff. But yeah. I guess when I sit down and I write a poem, I don't I don't think here I'm going to write an e- eco poem. Yeah. Um, I think it's easier, just like in history, when you step back and you see patterns. Okay, maybe I fit in there, but I think when I sit down, I'm writing this poem right now, and what speaks to me is ecology and nature. But I don't, I don't sit down and like have a have a point to be making. I yeah. think um, there are poems that pull that off. But um, when I went to New Zealand and was, you know, I did have the idea of I want. I want these poems that I'm writing to be about climate change. I think sitting down and be like, this is a climate change poem <laughs> um, can sometimes be counter um, productive. Yeah. Um, just let it, let the poem speak for itself. Yeah. Um, hopefully it will say something about the beautiful world, which is very um, fragile. Yeah, no, I get that. How, how do you get to a place where you're like, I, I'm writing poems now. How do you kind of get into that, that zone? Uh, one of my favorite poets is John Clare, and he one of the things he said is, I must have poems to read, else I cannot rhyme. And so definitely reading poetry uh, gets me in the zone. I'm a great believer in the idea, just like painters have to paint, sort of practice by painting masters. Um, I think reading reading uh, great, great poets uh, is key to that. And so I, I like to read and then also, yeah, go out, go out, walk. And observe, I think the poems that I love to write and to read are beautifully observant. Um, they really have a keen eye or ear and have pinpointed something beautiful or moving or pertinent. Um, and so that observation is what I try and foster. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that. I think that that's great. Um, is there... Well, you know, before that, I, I was wondering, I know you have a poem that you brought with you. Would you mind sharing it with us? Sure, sure. Um, this poem is called Cuckoo. Uh, it goes like this. 
The two birds were Hoetzins. No one came near them on account of the fermenting mess inside of them, smelling all the way to heaven. At first and at last, they climbed toward each other, downy, steadfast, temporary claw by temporary claw. They didn't fly. Their throats got as soft as peaches. They cried hoarsely. They paced out their lives in shade, shade of the wide swamp leaves with their oversized feet. In between, they were able to get by. They swam under the water as if it were the sky. Thank you so much for sharing that. As soft as peaches, I really like that. Yeah. Um, who's a poet or is there a certain poem that you continually come back to for inspiration? Certainly. There are a lot of poets. I think in particular, Marianne Moore is a poet that I read often and am inspired both by her life story and the poems that she wrote and her sort of the observation thing I was telling you about before. She spent yeah. a lot of time in the zoo and would just watch animals for, for hours. And I think that's, yeah, that's something that you can tell when you read her poems that she's really paid attention. John Clare as well. Um, he's a romantic poet um, from England. And I studied him, uh, well, studied his poetry when I was at Cambridge. And he, too, spent a lot of time outside and was so alive to the world. Um, and he wrote a vast range of poems. He wrote little poems, huge, you know, page-long, almost treatises about poetry. Um, I really love one of his book-long poems, which is called The Shepherd's Calendar, which was his third third volume of poetry and it basically goes month by month telling the entire calendar of a year by just what's going on outside mm. um and what bird what birds are moving around what what rain is happening you know what are they doing in the fields um and i think that that lovely connection to time passing and what's happening around you um being the bedrock of your poetry yeah uh, that's something that i admire yeah i think that's interesting um there's a lot of uses for poetry as a political force these days, and it's always been that way, but I think even more now. Would you consider yourself more in that observancy type of poetry, or would you say that you're, with your, your work on ecology and, and looking at climate, would you say that has more of a political aspect to it? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize myself as a political person. I think one of the things that was interesting when I went to New Zealand was the fact that, like, Climate change isn't so much a political issue. Like it's, it's not an issue of politics, just like a fact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I don't know. I think in the same way, when you read, when you read it, when I just read you this poem about Hoetzins, someone could, you know, read into that many different things. Yeah. Um, and I think, I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't, the only statement I want to be making is, I state this poem yeah, um, and let it speak for itself and let, um, if someone reads it in the future, <laughs> yeah. if they do, um, then they can make their historical judgment. But yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, there are definitely poets who, political poets or poets who write more about the here and now that I admire as well. Um, and historically too. I mean, John Clare, for instance, he, some of his, his he wrote a, a poem called The Parish, which is satirical and is basically um, getting at um, huge injustice in the tiny uh, county that he lived in. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I like that poem too, but 
I got to say, I love his poems that are about birds yeah. <laughs> more. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, everything has its place. Yeah, no, I get that. I think that's interesting. Your time in New Zealand is also marked by a return to radio. Um, you host a show for Fresh, S- Fresh FM. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So Fresh FM is a, a community access radio station in Nelson. Um, and Nelson is a, a town in the South Island. And yeah, there are, there are a lot of different radio stations throughout New Zealand, but the community access uh, program is to make sure that um, rural voices and also uh, different languages and different um, ideas are represented that might not be in commercial radio. So I host a show that's about books and literature and um, occasionally, yeah, nature sounds and that sort of thing. And yeah, it's sort of, um, to use a fancy word, as in plastic, like it's very... I just sort of take a lot of things and sort of try and draw lines between them. Um, But that's, I would say, my approach when I'm writing and when I'm going about my life. It's fun. (laughs) It's going to be fun for you because it's a different kind of medium to really experiment in that way, right? Yes. And I love to, um, one of the things that I do to get inspired or part of my writing practice is to memorize poems and sort of learn, get to the point where I can recite them. And so reading poems out loud and being able to say them and listen to them over and over again. I think that oral literature element, um, which is so woven into radio, is something that I love and speaks to me. Yes, myself as well. Uh, we do that show, Figures Feet, which you're, you're featured on as well, and will come out around the same time as this interview. Um, it, it's interesting to provide that kind of textural thing with the audio, right? People letting people experience poems in the real world and like see the writers kind of giving their work in that way. Cause it's, it's so interesting and it adds so much to, to the work. Yes. And I think one of the things that I love about books and just written language in general is the idea that I can, I can read this poem by John Clare and voice it out loud. And his voice, his voice comes alive in another person. Um, and there's something that's really true about poems becoming alive again in a new person and that being one of their big, um, I know, rich, it's the rich power, yeah. the fact that you can just be reading words and bringing them to life again. Yeah, I, I think that's great. What's a poem that you've memorized that you really love or what's your favorite mm-hmm. memorized poem? Ooh, that's a good question. I really love, it's sort of a sad poem, um, but the W.H. Auden poem, As I Walk Down What Evening. Mm. The first stanza is, as I walked out one evening, walking down Bristol Street, the clouds, uh, the crowds upon the pavement were fields of harvest wheat. It's a very um, beautifully executed poem. I think Auden is a poet who, I mean, execution-wise, he's like a figure skater. Yeah. Um, such, such precision, but also such um, com- complexity, boiled down to that beautiful. Uh, and, gonna try and I'm, I'm stretching the metaphor <laughs> you know just a, <laughs> I got I got a little carried away with that one but yeah on in that poem in particular is very um beautifully executed in terms of its rhythm and its rhyme and its organization of an I of an idea and a story and it was quite easy to memorize um for that at least for me for that reason and actually I have a fun New Zealand memory connected to this I was once paddling in Abel Tasman National Park, which is a, a park near Nelson. Um, I went ca- is it kayaking, if it still has paddles. 
I yeah. think so. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll go with it. Just kayaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was kayaking. And it was a lot farther than I expected. Um, so I started reciting this poem to myself, uh, just like past time. Yeah. But actually it was very helpful because it gave me this rhythm of, you know, as I walked down one evening and I was just sort of <laughs> paddling along. And I think I must have recited it maybe five times to myself. But yeah, I think that's something too that I love about poetry is you go far back enough and I mean, poetry had beautiful and very practical uses um, for getting, you know, remembering things, getting people from one place to another, connecting the dots between mm. different um, groups of people, different individuals. Um, and that's something that I love about poetry. Yeah, I know. I can see that. The, 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 the many uses, the uh, multifunctional. Mm -hmm. um, that's fantastic. Um, I know you also have an essay coming out in the Keats Shelley Review, uh, which you mm -hmm. recently won the Keats Shelley Prize for. Am mm -hmm. I getting this right? That's yes. correct. Yes. Right. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about that essay. Yeah, that was that was a surprise as well. Um, yes, that's a poem I wrote, a poem, an essay I wrote <laughs> <laughs> while I was at Cambridge. And it's about um, John Clare and John Keats, who were born around the same time um, and often are brought together in conversation because John Keats is so well known and John Clare um, is less so. And it's specifically about their writings about bats. Um, I was reading the natural history prose that John Clare wrote. He tried to write a natural history of Helpston, which is his, his village. He was basically just observing nature and writing it down. And I was reading that and I, was, I came across this part where he wrote down a fun riddle that he and his his friends when he was a little kid used to recite, which was, bat, bat, come under my hat, and I'll give you a piece of bacon. <laughs> and I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> this is so, also so great. Like, what a funny thing. And he, he, when he was a little kid, he thought that bats laid eggs like a bird. And so he talked about that and all these funny and interesting um, and unexpected things about bats. And I was like, I got to figure out a way to write an essay about bats and romanticism. So... Yeah. I've, I wound up collecting together all these different bits and pieces about bats and the Romantic period. And it turns out that John Keats wrote about how bats, when he was reading Paradise Lost and comparing that experience to being like a bat in a cave. And so, yeah, all these threads started coming together. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, um, the full title is Bat, Bat, Come Under My Hat, um, Romanticism and the Patagium, because mm. the Patagium is... Um, the membrane, the piece of skin that a bat flies on. Um, oh. Right. So I think it's so when you really look at um, bat anatomy, basically they have hands, but their hands are what they fly on. And yeah. so um, that's sort of a thread throughout the essay as well as um, the ability to fly um, being, yeah, resting upon just a piece of skin in this tiny, very thin, um, yeah, natural <laughs> yes. thing. Um, yeah. Oh, I think that, that's lovely, actually. Um, do you plan to kind of write more essays uh, as you kind of keep your career going? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm right now I'm working on a project, a group of essays that are all about uh, John Clare and natural history. And I think he's a great, he's a very accessible poet, um, though, I mean, what he wrote is very beautiful. I think a lot of people enjoy reading his poetry because it's very... It's a lot like he speak, he's very conversational in a, you know, 1800s kind of way. Um, <laughs> and for, you know, for someone who whose language was of that time, um, sort of like, I mean, Emily Dickinson isn't a very good comparison because some people find her quite hard to, to understand. But 
um, the, the in terms of the diction and what he's trying to say, I think it's pretty pretty accessible. There. So yeah, I oh, think okay. yeah, essays about him would be great. <laughs> That's lovely. I, I I like more poets writing essays or, or, or longer nonfiction works. Like I, I keep on coming back to Eulabis's work, um, just because it's phenomenal. On immunity is one of the best things I've read. Um, and I, I think there's a way to get closer to that text and reveal multiple things that, that poets have more of a handle on, as well as like the kind of rhythmic aspects of it. Um, yeah, I have um, I have many, many books, <laughs> but one of the books I love is Poets on Painters. And yeah, I think I think poets uh, can have great uh, ways of using using metaphor, using a different angle on um on art or science or whatever it might be and yeah have have something to offer um in the essay form yeah no, i agree totally um what was i going to ask you <laughs> that's a great question <laughs> <I know>. david <laughs> tell me what what the next question is claire no um i can I, start asking you questions <laughs> oh let's switch this for a little bit well actually you know what ask me one question what's a question that's popped into your mind during this interview well, one question I, I like to ask: Have you ever heard of a of a poet from from Micronesia? I have not. Yeah, I think that's something that I'm not sure how how to do it, but I think getting and that's that was something that was connected to my Fulbright, getting more for better word publicity or getting the word out more about poets from that part of the world yeah. or just literature in general. There's some really beautiful anthologies of songs and contemporary poetry from throughout the Pacific and New Zealand and Australia. And I think figuring out a way to get more sort of our eye, our global eye more on that region of the world um, in terms of its arts, art and culture, which is so rich and diverse yeah. would be, would be great. Who's, who's like a one poet that you, you read in either a collection or that you encountered in modern day mm -hmm. that you would recommend for people to look into? I think one of the poets when I was in New Zealand that I found really wonderful was Hone Tufare. He was a poet laureate of New Zealand. Not sure when, but um, his poetry is really, really wonderful. Um, and a poet who in New Zealand is very well, well loved, beloved, I would say, um, is James K. Baxter. He's someone I hadn't heard of before I went to New Zealand. And then as soon as I so, you know, dug a little. Oh, yes, <laughs> he's every, he's everywhere because everyone loves him. Like he wrote beautiful poetry, um, but he's on everyone's, you know, on tip of everyone's tongue, which is really great. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that's that's fantastic. Um, I know you're going back to Iowa for the next six months, pretty closely. Uh, what what are your plans after that? Are do you have that, you not decided yet? Are they in the ether? The ether uh, is a great thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, open book. I like to use the metaphor of the book yeah. a lot. <laughs> or um, paper and paper making. It's I like I like making paper when I when I can. And uh, this is great point where you're if you're you've taken your frame and you've scooped out your pulp and all the water's drain it fr draining from it. You've got to know when exactly is the moment that you you flip it and you sort of squish it onto its felt. Yeah. Basically, it's it's bored and you just sort of my papermaking teacher, uh, whose name is Tim Barrett in, in Iowa, he would always talk about this certain c sort of glimmer that would be on the water, which lets you know now's, now's the time. Um, so it's all a matter, it's, an, it's a great art and science of, 
uh, of timing. Yeah, striking all, all things. it first. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. It reminds me of like waiting for the uh, the olive oil to be hot enough, right? Looking right. for that, that that shimmer. Yeah. And it's like I, my kitchen's not lit well enough to see it, but it's like yeah. I, I'll feel it. You know. And isn't it the same when you're writing? I feel like knowing when to when it's done, um, or when you know when to catch the moment is is part of it. When to actually write down what you're thinking and not just turn over and fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> that is a big lesson I've learned. It's the same thing, and it's it's observing yourself or observing your your, your the pattern of your thought or whatever it might be. I think that's that's something that I have to you have you have to learn. Yeah. I think, and it's um, yeah, observing the world around you and then observing your own your yourself as a writer. Um, if if that makes sense. No, I think that makes total sense. I think that's really um, confidence building for a lot of people. It's not always the time to write necessarily, um, and you can find that that moment. What do you do when you're you're mm-hmm. in a rut? I think one of the the big things that I learned in my MFA from my from the various teachers I had there was just to keep keep writing, even if it's not going to all be a masterpiece. You know, it's not like you're so you're watching the olive oil of your poem, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, sometimes you fry those fry those eggs, and they're great. And sometimes they're not not that great. And you just <laughs> got to keep going. I think that that's the confidence builder, and that it's it's fine to fail. I think, or not or not to see as everything is failure, right? Yeah. If you write a poem, like for example, this poem um, that I wrote that I read about the Hoetsons, um, it took me a fair fair time to write and tweak, and but then when it's finished, it's finished, you know. So and move on. There are, there are more beautiful things to be observed out in the world yeah. that are happening right now. So just carry on. I think that's good. And I think that's a good thought to end on as well. Yeah. Um, Claire, keep on trucking. Keep on trucking, right? <laughs> keep on swimming. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Oh, thanks, David. That was poet and New Orleans native Claire Jones. And that's our show. You've been listening to the Writers Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. as well as on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. All of our previous programs can be found on iTunes, Google Play, as well as SoundCloud at www.soundcloud.com slash wrbhreadingradio. Feel free to stop by and leave us a review. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.